Hello, and welcome to On the Line, a podcast for tennis players, coaches, and fans. I'm your host, Jenny Robb. Today on the line, we have two-time Grand Slam champion, Ellis Ferreira. Ellis, thank you so much for taking time to be with us on the show. Thanks, Jenny. Um, thanks, thanks for the opportunity to speak with you. Yeah, well, so um, I'm really excited to, to talk to you today. Um, both of your Grand Slam titles were at the Australian Open. Um, I've been staying up and, and getting up early and watching the matches this year. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your experience there? Well, Australia is, is a fantastic place. Um, you know, obviously a wonderful place to visit if, if everyone has an opportunity on a holiday. But uh, just the facility itself, the, the tennis there, it's, it's an incredible uh, way to start the year off. Uh, all the professionals certainly look forward to this trip. Um, it's the beginning of the year, and if you can get the beginning of the year started off well, uh, it really helps a lot, you know, trying to get to the World Championships at the end of the year. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's super hot. Um, one of the things that's unique about Melbourne is sometimes I'll have these huge weather changes where one day will be, you know, like 40 degrees almost, and the next day you wake up and it's, um, sorry, 40 degrees uh, Celsius, so say like 110 on the court and all that, and the next day it'll be in the 60s and 70s. So it's, it's tricky because the ball reacts differently and the courts react differently with the change of weather. So I always thought that, thought that it was quite uh, weird because in Florida, if it's hot, it's hot. It doesn't fluctuate like that. But even this tournament, they've had some tremendous fluctuations in temperature. So I don't know, if, have, you, have you noticed that, how much the temperature fluctuates? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I see the, the ice towels and, you know, the, certainly the players have commented on, on the heat and heat rules. Um, what did you do when, when you and Rick or you and Karina were playing? Um, how did you prepare for that heat or, or the changes in temperature? Uh, well, I mean, obviously you're, you're training off season and, um, you know, being used to being outdoors. Um, that's a huge part of being a tennis player because a lot of times you have to be outdoors. So that's more a, a lifelong uh, exposure to, to the elements. But the, at, when you're at that tournament itself, um, you, you certainly um, need to, need to be aware of, of the heat and, and, uh, and eating the day before is really critical. You've got to eat properly so that the next day you have, um, energy to, to withstand the heat. Um, uh, it was very difficult with the change of temperature, uh, just because the ball will change and, uh, and on the hotter days it'll fly through the air and on the cooler days, um, you know, it just doesn't pop up as, as high. Um, so, you know, you, you, you certainly feel like you're, you're using all your experience and all your knowledge in order to come through the, the tournament because there, there are a lot of variations and, um, especially in the heat, you know, you got to try and keep your mind clear and, and stay focused. Um, competition is very, very good. So any lapse of concentration will, you know, obviously be, <laughs> won't be good. I, I kind of, you know, love the the behind the scenes, the recovery, the preparation, all all that stuff. Obviously, I enjoy watching the the matches. But there was a picture posted after um, Halep uh, played Davis the other night, and she was sort of in the training room, and she's icing, and it looked like she had a bowl of pasta, and <laughs> she's stretching out. And I was like, I love that she posted that picture. It was kind of fun to see that side. You don't just walk off, you know, walk off the court and go get in your car like maybe people do at a recreational level, you know? 
Yeah, I know it takes it takes about two hours um, before you can leave. Uh, you know, once you finish the match, typically it takes about two hours to leave because you know you take your showers and you've got to get your rub down. Um, you try and get some some food in you. Um, so yeah, it's it is a lot more more preparation that that goes in into it, and a lot of it is preparing for the next day. So she mm -hmm. knows she's still in the tournament, so there's a lot of things she needs to do. Um, you know, in order to be able to play the next day, um, the players also do a lot of a uh, lot of electrolyte drinks. Mm -hmm. um, there are some products that uh, that the players use when you see the the colored uh, colored drinks that they're drinking. Um, uh, a good product is Cytomax, which was uh, cyclist. Uh, it was in, you know used in in cycling, but mm -hmm. it's just to give you a good dose of electrolytes because when you sweat, you you sweat them all out. Uh, no, nobody, nobody uses Gatorade. Uh, there's way too much sugar in it. Right, right. Now, now, when you won, was it was it 2001? Is that right? 2003. It was 2000 and 2001. 2000 and 2001. Okay, so in the years that have that have uh, gone by since then, what changes have you seen, um, just in general, in playing styles or or anything? Well, I think I think the thing that's impressed everybody is how fast the ball is moving through the air now, um, with the with the combination of the rackets improving in quality, the uh, introduction of polyester string where you can string it a lot looser, and then also the physicality of the players and where they're using more of their body to hit the ball. Um, the the speed of the ball is has picked up tremendously. A lot of times they'll they'll show you the speed of the ground stroke and and uh, a lot of those shots are you know 80 90 miles an hour and that's a lot faster than than we were hitting the ball um so now it looks like the the burden or the bar in order to play uh, at that level is certainly more athletic um i mean i'm very impressed with the physicality of these players and and how they're able to to run around and 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 hit the balls and so if you if you can't move like they can and and you're not prepared to put the work in you you can certainly understand why it's very difficult to win sure so you've seen you know obviously nadal unfortunately um got injured there in the fifth set against chilich and um you know maybe novak's elbow kind of lingering elbow injury was an issue against uh Schwang. um so what do you do you think that this is an overtraining thing is it a too long season thing five set matches or is this just these guys are you know the wear and tear of the tour and age um what do you think about that Well I think I think what Federer did last year certainly changed our perception of of how well people can do in their 30s I mean typically the rule has been once you get to 30 you know you you start to really wane down but Nadal and Federer by getting to the finals of Aussie last year mm -hmm. um, certainly are, are are starting to change that rule. But I, I think I think again when you when you think about the speed that the ball is traveling and how fast you have to move and work to collect the ball and return it, um, it it just takes a toll on the body. And I don't think it's necessarily that the players are playing anymore. It's just that it's you know it's more more physical effort. So they certainly need to, you know, watch how many tournaments they play. I think Dominic Team and Zverev play way too many tournaments, mm -hmm. and uh, and that is hurting them. Uh, in I mean, here in the Aussie, Chang oh Chung 
beat uh, beat Zverev after being up after Zverev was up two sets to one, and then Chang Chang beats him six three six love in those next two sets. So mm-hmm. that's very alarming. I mean, why what why if you have if you're up two sets to one, why would you lose or only win three of the next fifteen games? So wow. that that really shows the physicality of it. And I think Chang is the real deal. He's got some wicked thighs, and he moves. <laughs> Um, that did you see that Djokovic match with with Chung the other night? I did, I did, yeah. I mean, didn't it look like Djokovic was looking in the mirror and and looking at a younger version of himself? Just, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I thought the you know his his comment afterwards was you know so telling. Where he was like, you know, <laughs> you know, Novak was my idol. You know, I tried to be like him, and it's like, well, that shows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you certainly, you certainly. Um, did that, and I, I think Federer um, is certainly you know, worried um, mm-hmm. because because Chung is the real deal. He won again to, today, or you know, whatever the time was. He beat Sangren, mm-hmm. um, uh, who's who's at a great tournament. Um, mm-hmm. But clearly, uh, uh, Chung is the real deal. He's. Uh, it was funny after the uh, Djokovic match when he was interviewed on court. Um, I think Jim Courier said something to him about, you know, how that last tiebreaker was, and, and what is what was he thinking? And and uh, Chung said, well, you know, I'm I'm younger than Djokovic, so I'm quite willing to go for you know two more sets. So even if I'd lost that breaker, I was quite I was okay. I mean, I'm I can keep going. Mm. Um, so and everyone had a good chuckle with that, and, and so. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, I think three sets into it, Djokovic was thinking, well, even if I win this third set, I mean, who really thinks that I can outrun this kid? Right. Um, okay. So the physicality, the physicality of it is is really impressive, and and uh, you know, so looking at that, and um, you know, you the game is certainly changing. Um, if you if you're not willing to or not able to put that kind of work in, it's going to be very difficult to to beat the ones that, that can. I really like what you said earlier about how the, the ball is moving so much faster and so physically the people, the players, have to move that much faster to, I think you said, collect the ball. And it reminded me of uh, something that we used to say and you used to say and I used to say um, when we worked together. Um, you know, we'd ask the players and it was kind of a funny little question to say, you know, is it better to receive the ball or to send the ball? And then, you know, people kind of have that puzzled look for a second. And, um, but, you know, obviously to be able to receive the ball, you have to receive it to be able to send it the way you want to send it. And, you know, when the ball's moving that quickly and you have to move that quickly to get there and be able to load and, 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 you know, execute, um, it, it just lends itself to exactly what you're saying about the physicality. But, you know, as far as receiving and sending, um, to take it, uh, take the game, you know, maybe away from the pro level for a second. Um, you know, this is something that you can teach an eight-year-old, right? Well, exactly. That's the the exciting part about about tennis now is because it's more physically driven and more footwork driven. So before before we used to use the footwork to get to the ball. Now we're using the footwork to not only get to the ball but be able to hit it back efficiently and uh and so it's now mechanics you can you know the game used to be talent based and i mean i can't you know if you can't hit the ball the way i can i mean there's nothing i can do i can't i can't help you but now 
because it's it's more operation based you can you can teach kids at a at a young age start them early teach them the right footwork teach them the way to to do it um when when i had the privilege to work with you we 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 had some incredible results because we started very very young and took took kids who you know didn't really have any tennis experience but we taught them the basics from the feet up and mm -hmm. you know those kids now years later are, are playing tennis and enjoying it and doing well um so the europeans talk about tennis starting in the feet and then working your way up mm -hmm. um and and again if you look at if you know Federer's playing chung all you have to do is switch on the tv and look at this movement and uh and you can see how impressive it is um so the question is you know can can that be taught and uh um, it absolutely can be, and uh, you just need the, you know, the right person to under to put them on the right path and understand it, and then it's you know putting a lot of hard work into it. But the rewards are certainly worth it. Would you say that the the movement to size the court to the child to size you know smaller equipment, smaller court size, you know, a slower moving ball, sort of the red, orange, and green method. Uh, do you agree that it lends itself to that sort of skill-based learning? Well, absolutely. When when you look at when you look at the professionals when they're playing, it clearly looks like the ball is being you know beaten severely. Um, <laughs> yes, the, definitely. The player, <laughs> yeah, if I was a tennis ball, I, I wouldn't want to be you know <laughs> you know playing. You know, I mean, because you know the 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 players are in control of the ball. And uh, the ball is just, unfortunately, the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, and so what you want to do is, for each level, you want to be able to see that same rallying. Because if, if our ultimate goal, ultimate, ultimate goal, is to be these players, so be a Tanae Sangren or a Chung one day, mm -hmm. you've got to be able to, when those kids are eight years old, you need to be able to see the same skill set, maybe just obviously a lot, lot slower, but you should still be able to see a 20-shot rally in Red Bull. You should be able to see a 20-shot rally in Orange, and then Green, and then work your way up. I mean, you know, you can't you can't say, well, you know, I can only hit one or two shots, but don't worry, I'm going to wake, I'm going to grow up, and I'm going to be able to hit and do a 20-shot rally at you know 80 mile an hour speed. Um, mm -hmm. that, that's just that's just not logical. So um, you've got to be able to. Learn how to do that. Get the tempo of the of your shots so that you can you know keep the ball deep and and keep a rally going. But um, you know start you can start as young as you want. But it's got to it's got to look the same way, just on a smaller scale. It's like baseball. I mean, you can go and do t-ball and you look at, but it still looks like baseball. It's <laughs> just at a smaller speed. And then those kids will have developed their skills and eventually you know. If they're lucky, then they'll they'll play professional t professional baseball one day. So right. tennis ne never really done that. We've fed the ball out of the basket and swing and a miss and go to the back of the line. Mm -hmm. But you know when when they switch on TV, that's not what it looks like. Um, so the, the the founder of the program, you know, who who you and I both know, um, you know, he came up with a great idea, and mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, so. It's about it's about playing the game the way the pros play it, but mm -hmm. just play it at a lower level or slower. But it doesn't mean you can't do the same things. If if Federer and Djokovic can have a twenty shot rally, then you know two little kids in Red Bull can have a twenty shot rally. It's no different.
Well, some of um, my, my favorite days in, in practice and when we were, you know, running our, our juniors um, would be when, um, you know, we would have our, our you know, biggest kids, um, you know, down on court one and we'd have the, you know, you know, court courts and balls going down and um, but they could be essentially literally doing the same drill, like literally our red ball kids, our eight year olds or seven year olds could be, you know, hitting two cross court and one down the line and then run it the other direction. We could be doing the, the, you know, the two, one drill on a red court, the same way that the high school players or, you know, that our tournament players who are 16, 17 years old, they're doing the same, literally the same drill, but it's just a heck of a lot slower and on this smaller court for a seven year old, but they're doing the same drill. Right. And I- Right, and and I thought that you know the whole idea there was to give inspiration to the little ones, saying, "Look, you know, you keep doing this program, and you go from the red to the orange to the green to the yellow. I mean, you end up here. I mean, it's not it's not rocket science, you know. Um, but you know, this is where it starts. You develop these skills. You master the red ball, where you 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 have to have the same parameters that you know a professional tennis player or a division one tennis player can do i mean in order to play at alabama or auburn or georgia you've got to be able to rally so um so you know it makes sense that if i can do it in in red then you know once i've mastered that speed then i go to another you know a larger slightly larger court the ball will move a little bit faster and then i master that one and then i'm on my way i'm on i'm on track um but uh you know it makes makes sense to me um yeah, and, I, I think know, um you know those are the 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 physical qualities why the program can be so successful but i think too and i'd i'd love your thought on this um you know where does confidence come from and and i've always thought it comes from your preparation you know you have that visualization of when you hit that shot in practice or you ran that pattern successfully in practice or you were under pressure and you, you were able to do this. So you have that mental and emotional um, capacity going into a competitive situation where you're under stress to be able to replicate it. So, you know, if all you do is stand in line and hit a ball and you're great at that, and then you, you know, you have that player go into a match and say, well, I'm great in practice, but I'm terrible in matches. And it's like, well, do your practices even look like your matches? Because, that's not what it looks like, <laughs> you know? So it's like if a, if a player can learn how to go cross court, cross court down line and then move in red ball by the time that they've been doing it for 10 years and they're getting ready to play college tennis, um, you know, what a massive boost to the mental and emotional capacity. I think that must be, but I mean, what, what do you think? I mean, you, you, you know, played at Alabama and were a, you know, a standout player there. Um, you're in the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame, Roll Tide, um, <laughs> you know, before you went on to to have great success on the tour. But um, wh- what do you think as far as the mental toughness or emotional side? Well, we, we've always kind of felt that tennis is in two stages. So the first part of your development is hitting a forehand, backhand, volley, doing all that stuff. Um, but that's only the first part of your journey because – the game of tennis has nothing to do with forehands and backhands. That's just the skills that are that are needed or the tools that are needed. But you now have to go to the next part where you actually learn how to how to manipulate your opponent, how to how to create strategies, how to put them under pressure. Um, so you know, in the beginning, we we we'd like to get those 
you know, like you said, get the cross courts, the down lines. And if you've been doing it since you were eight, by the time you're 12, 13 years old, I mean, that's that's kind of easy for you to do. Um, and so when I when I coach, I I ask my students, you know, when do you think or or do do you think Federer knows how to hit a forehand? And I said, you know, think about that before you answer the question. You know, he's 36 <laughs> odd years old. I mean, when do you think was the last time he actually thought about how do I hit a forehand? <laughs> right. And eventually, yeah, eventually I get them to, you know, agree that, yeah, he was probably 12, 13 years old when he was actually working on, all right, Roger, this is how you hit a forehand. And so... So what has he been doing since then? So since then, he's been actually playing tennis. So all the you know, actual stroke itself, it's just so automatic, it's so um, easy for him um, that if you actually asked him, how do you hit a slice backhand, he, he may go, well, gee, I don't really don't know. I haven't thought of it. Right. You, know, how, you know, Roger, how do you hit a half volley? You know, it's like, he's going to go, I have no idea. You just go like that, you know? Um, so... <laughs> So again, that, that fundamentals at a very young age, being able to hit multiple balls and getting that rhythm and that, that the one thing you always mentioned was your shot tolerance. Mm-hmm. You know, how many balls would you have to hit to this chunk kid before he goes, man, that's a lot of, lot of shots in the rally. You know, I mean, how many shots would you have to hit the Nadal before he goes, Oof, man, that's a long rally. Yeah. <laughs> well, that that sort of you know, goes that, back to one of my favorite things that uh, that you used to say. Um, again, when we when we worked together, um, you you would say to the kids, you, you, you know, basically there's sort of four levels of your um, skill, you know, ability, um, and it's unconscious incompetence. Like you don't even know what you don't know. Yeah. No, <laughs> to wrong. conscious incompetence, then you realize, oh my goodness, I really don't know what I'm doing. To conscious competence, which is where a lot of players get to at the recreational level, it's like as long as you're concentrating, you can execute. But then as soon as your Mm -hmm. mind wanders, you know, there's a drop in play. And so, so much of it is that conscious competence. But the level that we want to get to is that unconscious Mm -hmm. competence. And you used to, you know, stand next to a player and have, you know, a funny little conversation and see if their level of, of execution would drop or if they could have a funny little conversation with you about what they had for lunch and still hit the same shot, you know, and I just always really, right. it's, it's to, a fun it's, thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's trying to, trying to distract the brain to see if the body could actually go on autopilot and actually still hit the balls. Because when you're playing a match, you're, you're going to have to problem solve your opponent. You don't have time to start you know, thinking about, well, where am I supposed to put my racket and is this foot supposed to be here? Um, you, you, you're far more concerned with the problem at hand, and which is the opponent on the other side of the net. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, you, you're trying to develop those skills um, so that you can then move to that next level, which is really learning how to play the game. Um, and as you move up the totem pole of, of tennis, uh, the, com- the competitor only gets better. It doesn't, he, doesn't get w- he or she doesn't get worse. So mm-hmm. as you move you know, to junior tennis and then you start playing regionals and you go to nationals then you start making, playing college tennis or whatever it may be, and, um, and then host, you know, if, you, you know, if you so choose, start playing the futures and ITFs and all that sort of stuff, and the competitor is only getting better. Mm-hmm. Um, so your skills of being a good player, not a good hitter, are gonna are gonna be needed. Um, and so, but one of the other things that that 
I think is so important where, where the red, orange, and green ball really helps is that shot tolerance and that willingness to to stay out there and compete. Um, yeah, I've been very impressed with uh, Tanay Sangren. Um, he's actually a South African family, and I've known him for a couple of years and kind of watched his career. And, and uh, he's been working hard um, with very little success, but all of a sudden now he's putting it together. But you can clearly see his willingness to work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you can really learn. I mean, and Chung, Chung certainly will work. Um, and so I think that, you know, if people see and see something or get an insight into, you know, what this, what, what our game really is all about, um, it's really that willingness to work. And I think that that is a skill set that can be developed over time by hitting a lot of balls. You, you, you can't, you can't have a shot tolerance. There's no such thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you work on every ball. You 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 execute the shot. You as soon as you hit the shot, you you have another one loaded uh, with regards to where you're going to hit that one. And if the ball doesn't come back, then yeah, it's a bonus. But you never ever hit the ball hoping it won't come back. Right. That is not that is not a good good uh, state of mind. Right. Right. You know, I love it when you say that. You know the the it's about the other person it's on that the game is on the other side of the net um i'm a big fan of um craig o'shaughnessy you know he's a, an analyst um and a friend and um you know he talks about uh what you can do to make the other person uncomfortable instead of thinking you know I, i've got to play awesome today i've got to you know really hook my serves on you know but what can you do to make the other person off their game or, you know, just uncomfortable. How do you draw an error, you know, and that's something that you also talk about as well. And so I think it lends itself to what you're saying. Like once you have these skills and you can say, oh, you know, if I draw them off the court and then I can hit it there and then, you know, I'm not afraid of the ball coming back. I'm just trying to figure out how to break the other player down. Right. I mean, you have to assume at some point the opponent gets so good that trying to hit a, a ball so that they don't get it back is really not a good strategy. So, um, my my grandmother, when I was a little boy, she said to me, I, I come from a tennis family, and she mm-hmm. just said that your your job is not to play well. That mm-hmm. is that is not your task. That's not <laughs> your burden. Your task is to find the, the weakness in the opponent and how you can disrupt their play. Because if you don't do that, you may uh, allow the opponent to grow in stature to a point where you can't defeat them. Right. So you can play that way where you don't try and affect them at all or you can start chipping away at at their game or or whatever it may you you know you you may think of but but that is your task you know so you know Federer's thinking about Chung and what what can he do in order to disrupt him because he saw what happened to Djokovic when he went toe to toe with him mm-hmm. and that did not look good so Roger, as clever as he is and a great player, um, he's going to you know, watch for the match. He's going to start throwing in some slices. He's going to try and slow it down a little bit. Um, you know, He has to be weary or, or be very aware of the fact that the kid's 21 and he's 36. So you know, Roger's certainly good enough to beat him, but he, he, needs to be, he needs to be clever. And so hopefully it'll be a good chess match and we can... We'll, we'll all watch, but but you know you need the skill set first to be able to execute any strategy that you 
you deem to be necessary. Um, and then you need to play a lot of tournaments in order to gain as much experience as possible um, so that so that no matter what is thrown at you, you have an answer for it. You know, say, so, well, against this player, I'm going to do this, and against this player, I'm going to do this. So um, I just caught back from a trip from California working with the George Washington University team, mm-hmm. and we played Stanford and UCLA, which are both you know top 10 programs, and the George Washington boys are a little bit lower ranked, but um, I, I, you know, really... Yeah, I think I really got through to a, a bunch of them with regards to, you know, who does it make sense to that we can hit a winner against UCLA and Stanford? I mean, doesn't that just mean we're going to lose a lot faster? You know, so you know, use this as a as an experience to when we go back to our conference that we'll be able to compete against, you know, Virginia Commonwealth and the, the, mm-hmm. the teams that we have there, but. You know, but try and learn something. You know, don't just go out there and get blitzed in 40 minutes by making 50 errors. You know, let's let's work. Let's see how how good these guys are. Um, and some some boys really uh, reacted well, um, fought hard. Um, and then you know, some of them, you know, b- besides what I said, still try to go out there and beat a guy who's you know got a UTR of 13 and they've got a UTR of nine. <laughs> and yeah. So, but it was, you know, it was, it was, it was very, it was very interesting. Um, the quality of college tennis, and obviously the kids that I saw, they were very, very good. Um, so the the game is, it's, it's trickling down. It's coming from the pros and it's trickling down. Um, so, you know, it's certainly, you know, if you if you want to be a competitive tennis player, you 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 really need to um, develop those skills. That's for sure. Oh, absolutely, and. Um... You know, I want to be very careful how I, how I say this because certainly technique is important and fundamentals are an absolute must. You have to have that fundamental sort of foundation and uh, mastery. Um, but I know a few coaches um, who I, I respect and like a lot that spend so much time, you know, looking good, looking correct, but then maybe the player doesn't know how to compete and so, you know, I, I think that if I could go out and watch your um, your players against UCLA, is their technique going to necessarily look very different? Probably not. But the play, the style of play or the competitiveness is not necessarily in the technique. I mean, I watched the match the other night uh, that Kerber played. Um, oh, what was her name? Is it? I'm not sure I'm going to say it right. Do you know which one I'm talking about, the – the lady from Taiwan, I believe. Oh, Shay. Um, is it Shay? Uh, yeah, Shay. Shay. Yeah, it's uh, it's very difficult to figure out how to pronounce that, but yeah, I think it's I think it's Shay. Um, you know, but she was mixing in some slices. She's two-handed on both sides. I was looking at her serve, mm-hmm. and I was going, you know, I'd, I'd like I'd maybe change some things in her game. But <laughs> but you're like, you know, if you're if you're in the fourth round of a Grand Slam and you're 88 in the world, you're you know you're doing okay. Something right. <laughs> something right. You know, so it's like maybe you know. Obviously, again, I want to be careful. Yes, technique is very very important, but is it the most important thing, or is it you know knowing how to compete? I, I don't know. Well, you know, we've always, you know, I think tennis players have always said that it's not a beauty competition. Um, mm-hmm. It's a game. Um, and, uh, you know, more important than anything is to understand that it is a game and play it. Um, you know, uh, Shea was, uh, was certainly playing a game. 
Mm -hmm. um, she mm -hmm. realized that maybe she couldn't outhit Kerber, and so so then she was you know trying to go short and do some more creative things, and it was great to watch because it was a, it was a game. Um, it wasn't um, you know two people just hitting the ball. I mean there was there was real. Um, art there, and, oh, well, uh, and that's fantastic. Why, yeah, I mean, that, yeah, and that's why you know that's why I got into the game originally, and and it just looked like it was fun, you know. And I was, you know, I was, you know, saw it saw it as such, and and uh, enjoyed it. Um, so technique and these tools are really important, um, but unfortunately, if you don't have the other part of it, it'll be a bit of a moot point. Um, you know, I can't, you know, help but think of Madison Keys, you know, with all the skills that she has, um, how she loses 6-2, to Kerber. Right. Um, you know, and I mean, she she couldn't she couldn't possibly have better skills. Right. So, uh, right. big serve, big forehand, backhand, I mean, she, she's got the ability to, to really, you know, run through somebody. Um, so... And maybe a combination of Kerber being, you know, really, you know, resolute in her defense. Um, maybe Madison overhitting because the other person is such a good defender. But you know, on paper, it would, or you know, just looking at the two competitors, you would, you would say that Madison won two and one. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, why would you, why would you think, geez, look at her? So you know, and again, that's sport. That's why we play it. Um, you know, Madison's got to go back to the drawing board and, and figure out, you know, I mean, she can't serve bigger or hit a forehand bigger. I mean, I think she's got that going. Um, so, you know, it's still some learning process there, but that's why that's why we play the game. But I, I always try and preach is to anyone who will listen that it is a game. You have to have tools, and those are fantastic, but if you don't know, if you don't know how to play the game, you know, you, you can... You know, you can have losses that, that you can't really explain. Um, oh, I, I think that goes back to the your your grandmother's words of wisdom, you know, when she said your job is not to go out there and play well. I mean, I think that, you know, kids uh, or adults for that matter, um, a league player, a, a junior team tennis player, I mean, anybody going out to play a match, um, it, it seems to put the pressure on themselves and then – you know, then it becomes less fun. Uh, um, Jim Harp, a dear friend of mine who was on the podcast recently, um, said that, you know, he always tells his players before the match, I want you to have more fun than your opponent. And I just, that has stuck with me. I mean, I think that's such a great thing to say. Um, you know, and it just, and, and, and the fun, yeah. And the fun part could be in the, the, in figuring out the puzzle. I mean, that right. could be the fun part, right? you know, it's just, you know, so at the end of the match, I wanted you to tell me what you learned about the opponent. Well, you know, was it fun figuring them out? And oh, it was amazing, coach. When I when I realized the person couldn't hit a you know a short forehand, I just attacked that forehand, and I was able to win the match. Um, so you know, I mean that, and that's why people like playing games is because you, know, you want to figure them out. Um, and so if there was no game, you know, a lot of us wouldn't play it because. You know, we 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 like that aspect, but that should be fun, um, right? Uh, and 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 being able to break them down and um, and it, like you said, it takes a ton of pressure off you, um, you know, because you know I, I always make the comparison or the analogy of a gymnast. I I think that has got to be still incredibly difficult because there is no room for error. Right. I mean, one little 
you know, stumble and it's the difference between, (laughs) oh, unbelievable. So, you know, our sport's not like that. I mean, you know, you can look terrible, but if you are, you know, a really smart player, you can win. And, you know, if, if my little choppy little backhand slice, you know, totally disrupts your forehand, then I got you. I'm going to beat you. So, um, you know, I always, you know, was saying that if you're playing first line or something like that and, and, uh, you know, the opponents don't look very good as they warming up, I mean, you should be very worried. Um, because clearly they, they didn't win because of their strokes. They win because they're clever. Um, mm-hmm. and, I, that is such yeah. a huge point. And I love that you said, you know, the fun should be in figuring out how to win, you know, figuring out those little nuances in the game. Because I think that that word fun gets thrown around a lot in our industry. Like, oh, have fun. Make sure you're having fun. You know, it's going to be fun. But, and, you know, we talk about game-based learning. And then, you know, fun doesn't mean that you're, you know, doing face painting and having, you know, balloon animals made over there. It actually is tennis. It actually is figuring out tennis, you know. (laughs) So I think fun fun, can be. (laughs) Right. The fun is is playing the game. So when you say go out and have fun out there, that's what we mean. We mean have fun figuring out your opponent. Have fun... um, executing your strategy and 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 having the strategy work and you know i came up with an idea and it worked i mean that was just amazing that was so much fun um so it's not you know have fun and get and get whacked you know six loves is up that's not a whole lot of fun well i think Um, you know being pressed you know when when you when you maybe have to change strategies or, you know, what's your plan B or what's, you know, what do you have to do to change, you know, to, to sort of embrace that versus, you know, for panicking maybe and going, Oh my gosh, you know, this is what I do and it's not working. And what do I do now? And this is not fun anymore. Well, yeah. Then, yeah. <laughs> well, then you have to change. Right. So then you change to another one and, and, you know, the more, the more you play, the more you compete, the the more you, you, you will learn different things to do and different things to try. So, you know, I'm 47 years old. I've been playing tennis for, you know, competitive tennis for 40 years. So <laughs> after all these years of experience, I mean, you know, you, you, you can say, well, throw this at them or just try this or try this. But you keep dodging and weaving and, and think of ideas. Um, and, you know, and, and I mean, that's fun. And that's why coaching is fun because, you know, now I can try and help help someone else and, um, we had a boy on the George Washington team who uh, is from Slo- Slo- Slovakia and great doubles player, really cheap, very impressive. But then when he plays singles, he says he's lost. He doesn't know how to play. And I said, well, it looks to me like you have some incredible serve and volley skills. Why don't you just play like Pat Rafter? And so he goes, well, who's Pat Rafter? So oh, no. I chuckled. <laughs> oh, I chuckled, no. but it's okay. So I gave him, I watched at breakfast, I, you know, I YouTubed, you know, Pat Rafter and, and said, you know, this is Pat. And, you know, he's a great athlete. He maximized what he had. He was very difficult to beat because he never stopped coming. Uh, anyway, so the boy went out and, uh, and started, you know, coming in on everything, you know, just chipping his forehand. Anyway, he ended up um, playing, you know, Three three matches. One was against Stanford, um, and acquitted himself very very well. But the mm. most important thing is 
he said he was having fun now because he said he hated singles because he didn't know what he was doing. He was lost. Right, right. And now, yeah, now he's having fun. He's, he's, you know, trying to figure out, you know, when to come in, when not to, you know, where to hit that volley. And he's, he's thinking and thinking. And, and I said, well, that's, you know, I mean, that's, I felt sorry for him. I felt bad for him that he felt lost out there playing because tennis is such a fun game. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I felt bad for him that he's not enjoying it. And I said, you know, this is this should be fun, and this is awesome. And uh, anyway, he sent me a really nice text uh, um, when we got back from California, and so that was that was really sweet. And he just and he said he really appreciated my input, and and that he's having fun with tennis now, and and he can't wait to get on the court and and learn learn some more about you know how to how to play the seven volley game style and. And uh, you know, um, anyway, so that 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 was that was exciting. Um, oh but, well, I think you just got to like the entire heart of coaching, sort of in a nutshell, right there. Like this this player obviously is is very very skilled, very good, has been playing a long time, but wasn't enjoying it because it was sort of like the panic I was talking about before. If you don't know what to do, you know, you're in a panic situation, and that's not fun. But, you know, so you sort of gave some guidance and, and a plan, and now all of a sudden you have all these tools and you know what to do, and then it can, you know, relax you and you can start to enjoy yourself because you actually know what you're doing. So I think, you know, that's coaching. Right, and I, and I, told, the, I told the team, I said, you know, tennis is not set up to win. It's not a winning sport. Because, you know, and they looked at me like I was crazy. And I said, well, out of a 128 draw at the Australian Open, how many people are going to win? And, you know, and I said, one. So right. one person is going to win the tournament. So the rest are all losers. They should all quit and go home. You know? And I said, so it, it's, it's not like that. Each, each player has an individual journey. Um, there's success in every match that you play. Um, it's whether the glass is half full or half empty is how you look at things. Um, but you have to have individual victories and individual success based on the, the definition of success being that you're getting the best out of, out of, your, out of your body and out of your skill and out of your talent. Um, so um, we, when we think like that, it allows us to continue on the journey. Um, and hopefully that journey takes us to, to where we want to go or, or maybe it takes us further than we thought we could. Mm. Um, and, and so, you know, focus on, focus on, you know, you're playing Stanford. So, you know, it's not a huge shock that you're probably not going to win this match. But, but what you can do is you can get a tremendous amount of uh, encouragement and, and confidence from the fact that you went out and played your, your style, the game that you like to play, you had a ton of fun at it, and you actually, you know, won some games. Um, and so I'm going to continue to work hard, and then next year when I play Stanford again, you know, maybe I take a set. And then the next year I'm going to come back, and I'm going to beat the guy from Stanford. Mm -hmm. You know, and so it's a, it's a personal journey. Um, it's not about winning and losing. It's about improving, about getting better. Um, and hopefully that leads you... Um, you know, to to a place that you thought you'd never get to. When you know, when when I came to Alabama on, on a, you know my freshman year, um, I I didn't make the team. Um, I lost six love, six love in a challenge match for number six spot. 
And, uh, <laughs> That's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, not, uh, it was a bit of a wake-up call. But four years later, I was at the U.S. Open and played Michael Chang on Grandstand Court. Um, so, you know, again, I, I tried really hard every day to get better, um, to improve. And, uh, you know, and a couple of years later, I was playing center court of Wimbledon. So that's big, amazing. Uh, and, and again, I was telling the guys, I mean, it's, it, it's not, it's not how, how good you are. It's the fact that every single day you are learning something that you add to tomorrow. So every practice, when I finish with them, I say, what did you learn today that you're going to add to what you already knew before you came in here? So every mm -hmm. day you've got to add to something. And, you know, again, as the journey continues, then you'll, you'll improve. So, I mean, think of what, what Sangren, Tanae Sangren has learned on this journey just these two, these two weeks. Um, incredible amount of, of knowledge and, and experience that he will now carry forward to the next week and to the next week. So, um, he, you know, he certainly has a bright future. And, Absolutely. But, but again, whether he, you know, really, learns from this experience and um, takes it, you know, with him. Uh, but I'm, I'm sure he never expected to to be uh, in the quarterfinals of a Grand Slam in his first, <laughs> I think it's his first Grand Slam too. So it's pretty impressive. So as, um, as sort of a, a parting thought here, I, I think there's a real delicate balance in um, maybe society at large today where, on the one end of the spectrum, you have the maybe the parents or, or the player who, you know, comes at, comes to practice and says, you know, I want to I want to be number one in the world, you know, and I want to be a pro, I want to you know be professional. And then maybe on the other end of the spectrum, you have people that don't dream big enough. They're like, oh, you mm -hmm. know, it seems like a lot of work, and you know, I'm I'm, I'm you know want to work hard, and but you know, I'll just this is okay. I mean. How do you encourage somebody to maybe, you know, be realistic, but still dream big? Um, how I don't even I don't even know what I'm asking. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, you know, I think that I, I think that that uh, you can certainly have both sides of the spectrum. Um, you can have those people that uh, you know. I've certainly worked with worked with someone who had a lot of expectation as a young child was was told they were going to do x y and z and it never worked and mm -hmm. it really hurt them mm -hmm. um and then i've also had kids that you know not you know not even dreaming they they don't they say well it's impossible i can't do that and mm -hmm. i said well but you know, it hasn't happened yet i mean how can you say that it can't um right. so i think both 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 sides of the spectrum can learn from just a simple concept of 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 doing the process and, 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 and enjoying the journey and wherever it leads, it leads. Um, and it's there, you know, there are no guarantees and, and expectations are, are dangerous. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. both, both overly, overly, you know, optimistic or too pessimistic rather, rather just work really hard every day to be a success and, and, and coach, you know, we, we love coach, coach Wooden from UCLA and, <laughs> success you know and it's interesting it was my my friend uh um uh paul goldstein is the coach at stanford and he took me into his office and on his wall was a picture 
um, of, of himself playing underneath it was Coach Wooden's definition of success. Um, you know, peace of mind that comes from self-satisfaction and knowing that you did the very best to become the very best that you were capable of becoming. Oh, wow. Um, so that was pretty cool. I mean, just because I'm, you know, you and I are a big proponent of that. And, mm. and again, that's that's all you want to do. I mean, you can't judge yourself with somebody else. They're not you. You're on this journey to maximize your ability and, and do the very, very best that you can. And... You know, and I mean, who knows where you end up? Um, you know, when I was a freshman at Alabama and you told me that I would have been able to play at Wimbledon um, and, you know, Davis Cup and the Olympics, uh, you know, I would have I would have said you were very sweet, but that's probably not happened. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, I mean, it, it, it happened. I was, you know, um, so it's a long, long journey. Don't don't get so tied up in. In, in the kind of semantics of it, just work hard every single day, try and improve and get better. Um, there's a great, um, I don't know if they still have it, but there is a sign at the Alabama football training facility, um, which it's above the door as you leave to go onto the practice field. Um, I know that because I used to work the uh, the, the locker rooms in, in college to make extra money. But... Um, <laughs> Those were the days, but uh, there's a sign that says, "Do not improve, um, no, do not return until you improve." Oh, that's and fantastic. I thought it was, and I thought it was weird because it's facing the wrong direction. And then I finally realized they meant the other way. So don't <laughs> come, don't come back into the locker room until you've improved, even if it's just a little bit. That's excellent. So every time you walk, yeah, every time you're walking out. You're improving a little bit, so that means six months from now you're a much better player than you are today. So as long as as long as you improve in something, you know, have have a purpose to your practice, and and then you've done your job. Um, you know, Coach Saban talks about the process, and I think that that's that's key. You have to have a purpose to what you are doing, and uh, and then work as hard as you can, give yourself every opportunity to to make it happen, and then. And then who knows, maybe one day you'll surprise yourself of where you've actually gotten to. Wow. Well, I think that's a pretty perfect way to, to wrap that up. Thank you for that. Um, I'm going to give you a big oh, roll welcome. tide. A big roll tide on that one. Yeah, roll tide. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, 